Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and this is Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. As a mom of four kids in New York City and a writer myself, I know all too well how short everyone is on time, so I'm here to help. I'm going to interview authors and writers of all types about their work, especially as it relates to parenting and family issues. Hopefully you can listen while doing 8 million other things and fall in love with these talented scribes and their fantastic books, essays, and songs like I have, plus get some tips on surviving parenthood. For more about me, you can check out my essays at zibbyowens.com. Also, this episode has been sponsored by Chloe's Fruit, the cool way to eat fruit. Just fruit, water, and a touch of organic cane sugar. I don't know about you, but my kids are obsessed with Chloe's Pops. I secretly sneak the dark chocolate pops when they're not looking for a guilt-free delicious treat. Check them out on chloesfruit.com. I'm super excited to be interviewing a wonderful friend of mine today, Lee Carpenter. Lee and I went to business school together and bonded as two writers in a sea of consultants. Lee has since published an incredible book called 11 Days, published by Knopf, and has a new book coming out this summer. So welcome, Lee Carpenter. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So Lee, tell me more about your background in terms of where you grew up. How did you end up in New York? Um, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, kind of in in the middle of nowhere with a lot of um, siblings and dogs and horses. And it was a very... um, quiet childhood. I didn't know if I would end up in New York. I used to come here with my mother, um, you know, on special occasions and we would go out for lunch or go to FAO Schwartz <laughs> or go to the bookstore, or go to the theater. Uh, so I was, you know, n- knew of, about New York. And then when I was, uh, an undergrad, I, I really loved the theater and thought maybe my, my future would be in the theater. And Uh, If you love the theater, you come to New York City. So I really didn't know what I was doing, but I came here kind of with the long-term goal of doing something in the theater, but ended up getting a job um, kind of working in the literary world. And so I I hung around there for a while. And tell me more about that, your entrance into the literary world. How did you get into writing? You know, uh, it started with my hearing a rumor that Francis Ford Coppola was starting a literary magazine and I wanted to get involved with that. So I relentlessly hounded the uh, woman who had been appointed the editor until she uh, agreed to hire me as her assistant. And the two of us worked together to figure out what we were doing, which was essentially starting a a very small uh, business, but a business nonetheless, which had a literary uh, component And when I went through that process, I realized that maybe what I wanted to do was be an editor. And we were lucky because we had, among other people working with us, we had hired this freelance copy editor who was Susan Sontag's personal copy editor. She said even when Susan Sontag wrote a postcard, she would hand it to this woman, Carla, to copy edit it for her. Um, But I learned there how to copy edit, how to... Uh, work with writers, what it means to edit a piece, how really, how to read short fiction, which was something that I hadn't focused on before. And I sort of, I sort of got in my head the idea that Francis Coppola was always saying that a good movie is usually based on a very simple story. And he had lots of examples. 
And his goal was to create a magazine that would publish short stories, some of which would go on to be films. And that was really the start. And then, then as you know, I went to, I went to business school. Uh, I don't know how I got in, but I went to business school nonetheless, because at that time I thought maybe what I want to do is start another magazine, a larger magazine. Uh, I liked the idea of working with writers, but I, I didn't really know in what capacity I would do that. After business school, I got a job at a, uh, another literary magazine called the Paris Review, which I entered into at a very tricky time. The founding editor of the magazine, George Plimpton had just died. And, um, it was, uh, it was, it was an interesting experience. I used to say it was at the time, everyone who knew me said, Oh, this is the perfect job for you. And I used to say, I felt like, um, I was dating someone where everyone said, Oh, he's the perfect guy for you. And then I would go home and like, he'd beat me up and do drugs <laughs> because it was an excruciating, um, time. It was, it was, uh, hard work. And I, I realized I was not, you know, trying to help shepherd this iconic literary, magazine, I was really trying to uh, desperately beg people for money so that we didn't um, go bankrupt. So that was that was an incredible learning experience. And um, I, I then went on to work as a speechwriter for a politician and thought maybe that was the right avenue for my skill set. And it was during that time that 11 Days, you know, was born. Uh, it's it's probably too long of a story to go into, but the short version is I was working with this politician and writing a book with him and we had to get an agent. And while we were writing that book, uh, the politician got sick and the book got put on hold, but that agent took me to lunch and said, you should write your own book. You know, I've seen your work and you should write a book. And I kind of thought, I think I'm an editor, not an author. Um, and then he, he, dared me. He said, I, I dare you to try and write 10,000 words under your own name. And he gave me a deadline. He said, if you can write 10,000 words under your own name, I will represent you. Cause he was sort of representing the politician, not me. And, uh, he gave me a deadline for those 10,000 words, which was May 3rd, 2011. My father had died. My father had been in the military. So I was reading at that time, everything I could about the military. I was newly interested in in a subject I had not had a lot of interest in before, and just reading everything I could, particularly on the subject of special operations, because of uh, what my father had done. <clears throat> and one of the books I read was called Lone Survivor, um, and by Marcus Luttrell, who was a Navy SEAL, who went missing for a period of time uh, in Afghanistan. And that was all, you know, interesting, but the part of the book that really, you know, uh, broke my heart was when he came back from Afghanistan, he arrived at his house in Texas and he saw what had gone on in that house while he was gone. And what had gone on in that house was everyone in that town had come to help take care of his mother in particular. And they had brought food and, you know, it was sort of like a wake, um, and the house filled up with people. In fact, the house filled up with so many people, if I'm remembering correctly, that they built a second structure on the property to help kind of contain this, this vigil. 
And I remember thinking at the time, how would I feel if I was in that house, if my son was missing and I was in that house? And I answered the question, uh, I would want to get out of the house. So I thought I would write 10,000 words about a woman whose son is missing, who has to get out of the house. And so she goes for a jog. And I wrote that. And then because, you know, whether or not it was because of Marcos Luttrell in particular, I decided to make her son a Navy SEAL because I knew some Navy SEALs. And I thought, well, at least they can, I can call them and they can tell me if, you know, I'm spelling something wrong. And then I went to meet that agent on May 3rd. And on May 2nd, we had killed Osama bin Laden. And it was SEAL Team 6 who killed Osama bin Laden. So I sat down to meet him. And I said, here are my 10,000 words. And he said, what, what is it about? I said, it's about Navy SEALs. He said, oh my God, you're kidding me. Da da da. They were on the cover of every newspaper. Um, I said, I'm, I'm actually serious. That's, that's what I wrote about. On the basis of that 10,000 words, he said, if you write another 20,000, I want to take this out to publishers. Because suddenly there was this sort of seal. Uh, suddenly everyone knew what a Navy SEAL was. So I wrote, I ended up writing 40,000 words, um, you know, which is not a book, but uh, was, was enough. And on the basis of that 40,000 words, we sold the book to Knopf. Uh, that was that was the start of the journey. That's amazing. That's <laughs> an amazing story. I didn't even know that background. That's well, you know. And then what happened was I uh, then I actually had to write a book because I had a contract. And that August, August of two thousand eleven, I got pregnant, which was uh, not planned. So suddenly I had an even bigger deadline than the book, which was I was about to have my second son, and I thought I've got to write this book before I deliver this baby. So I went to meet with my editor, Knopf, and I said, and she said, you know, to take your time with the book. And I said, well, I, 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 I won't take my time. You'll have the book in April because <laughs> the baby's coming in April. Uh, and then I was in this weird, uh, not weird, I was in an unusual position being a pregnant woman writing about the SEAL team community. I think it helped in making me seem less threatening maybe than other journalists because at that time so many people were trying to talk to Navy SEALs and ask them questions like who killed Osama bin Laden who was in the room tell me about your gear da, 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 da. and I was going and talking to these people and saying what's your relationship with your mother like how many times a day do you Skype your girlfriend from your base from the base uh do you get depressed and almost without exception, you know, after someone's talked to you about their mother, their girlfriend, and their, you know, the fact that they use whatever they use to manage their, um, their bad days, almost invariably, I would then say, thank you very much. And they would then say, uh, aren't you going to ask me about the Captain Phillips? Or don't you want to see my, you know, AK, my weapons? Or um, There would always be at the end this moment where they would want to actually talk about um, nothing classified, but they would want to talk about what they do, of course. And so I sort of accidentally got a lot of um, interesting stories, many of which I tried to weave into the book. And I got to know, uh, you know, I got to know s some pretty remarkable people. I want to talk a little more about 11 Days and um, your beautiful writing in it. Um, I'm going to read a passage from page 131 of the hardcover when uh, 
the mom is on her way, Sarah is on her way to find Jason, having been notified that something's up and she has to um, take a plane and go rescue him. And as a mom, the feeling of what, what she must be going through emotionally, having to get on a plane and travel, knowing that, you know, is her son alive? Is everything okay? Anyway, this is what you wrote, which is beautiful. Um, at the station in D.C., she thought she would stop and get something to eat. There was never anything edible on airplanes, and she knew they were in for a long flight, perhaps several flights. She would buy something to eat and something to read. She had the same feeling in her stomach she'd had each time she knew Jason was about to come home, the feeling of anticipation and relief that before long she would be laughing with him, as they had always done together, and hearing what was new in his life. It was the feeling that coupled the ease of being with family with the comfort of no longer being alone. So what I liked about this little passage was... As a mom, sometimes you're sitting there by yourself and then immediately you're in it again with your mm-hmm. child and the juxtaposition of not having a family and then having, you know, Jason return and what shape would he be in and um, the dynamic of that um, interaction between the mom and the son. So I really liked that passage. Thank you. Maybe you could speak more to... Well, uh, you know, mothers of... Uh, mothers of people serving in the military don't generally fly on private planes to Afghanistan to meet with their children. But so that part of the book is actually quite, is almost like a a fantasy element, but I wanted to show, I wanted to take a mother to the battlefield. You know, another very famous book that had a huge impact on me is a book called Black Hawk Down, which was also made into a movie. And that book opens with the line, uh, you know, Sergeant Matthew Eversman puts on his helmet. And I opened 11 Days with the line, you know, in the bedroom, Sarah puts on her running shoes. I wanted to weave throughout the book, uh, if I tried to weave throughout the book, this idea that the mother is the warrior. She is the warrior because we, you know, we all are fighting the battle of being, being mothers. And I thought if I really want to take that to conclusion, she's going to have to go there. She, I, I have to take her to the Middle East. Normally, in these kinds of cases, the, the child comes home to the mother. Um, and by the way, he's not a child. I mean, he's a grown man by this point. But of course, we will always think of our children as, as, our, as our children. And I wanted to contrast in the book the incredible complexity of the training that her son has undergone and for example, all of the things that he wears when he goes out to do what he does and the simplicity of her, the relative simplicity of her life. She's a very complex woman, but you know, that for her, she wants to, you know, wear something appropriate and eat something healthy. And she's trying to think about these simple things in a moment of incredible crisis. Um, she's trying to stay calm. And I know, uh, as a mom, you know, recently you've gone through a divorce, as have I. Do you use exercise in that way? Do you feel like you grab, you know, grab onto simple things in the face of chaos? I, I do. You know, I'm not really a runner. And the idea of Sarah being a runner, I stole from back to um, Francis Ford Coppola. When I was uh, working for him, one of the stories I read that I had never read before is a, is a is an incredible short story by John Cheever called The Swimmer. And The Swimmer is the story, uh, it's a perfect short story, and it's a story of a man 
who goes running through his neighborhood, swimming through his neighborhood swimming pools. And as he goes from backyard to backyard and swims each pool, he has this train of thought. And I sort of stole that that structure for the opening of my book where Sarah goes running. And while she's running around, uh, near where she lives through her neighbor's property, she's she's thinking about her son. So I don't use running. Um, and I don't use meditation, which I probably should, but I do use exercise. I do feel that that is a... Um, a simple way for me to do one thing that I can do. And then if I do nothing else the whole day, I feel I've, um, I've done that. It's a way of um, having some kind of routine because our days as parents, as you well know, get um, are hard to predict. What do you think is one of the hardest parts of parenting, at least right now? Your, your sons are... My sons are nine and five. Um, you know, when I was little, my best friend's mother, yesterday, my nine-year-old told me that he knows what it means when someone puts up their middle finger. <laughs> my response to that was to tell him when I was little, my best friend's mother used to put up her pinky finger and she would say, for those who don't deserve the very best. <laughs> and this woman was so cool. She was cool, beautiful, funny, bright mother who was also deeply religious, who would talk to us about you know, Christ and gratitude and forgiveness and, and uh, responsibility. But always what I remember and what I think about when I think of her was that pinky finger, holding up that pinky finger for those who don't deserve the very best. Because I think the hardest thing about parenting is to really own the fact that no one else's judgment matters. You know, that we feel judgment, I feel judgment, whether it's from, you know, other parents or teachers or coaches or, um, you know, to kind of, to kind of say, you know, what matters and who matters, you know, is my, my ethical arrangement, my ethical contract with myself. Um, what matters is my children you know, and then pretty much everyone else can, can have the pinky, have the pinky <laughs> finger. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just remembering that everyone's just trying to get through the day, you know, and to, to, to ju judge less, I think. I get it. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, 11 days was absolutely amazing. I know Thank I just mentioned to you, it's, um, everybody, I know moms don't have a lot of time, but, uh, 11 days is definitely Thank you so should much. be at the top of the list. And I know you have a new project coming out, so talk to me more about that. Um, yes, I. Uh, the new book is called Red, White, Blue. It's, uh, it's coming out from Knopf in August. It's about, well, I've been saying it's about the CIA and marriage. Um and I chose the title Red, White, Blue because the book is uh, a lot about China and there's an avalanche that's very central to the book and there's a scene involving the ocean that's very important. So I was sort of had that as a placeholder holder title, but it stuck and then someone pointed, a writer I admire pointed out to me the other day that Red, White, Blue is sort of a nice title for a book about marriage because you have sort of the the red heat of 
the love and the passion and you have the white of what can often be very chilly, lonely moments. And you have um, the blue, which is water, which, you know, maybe are tears of joy or tears of sadness. Um, but it's, uh, it is a story of a woman who is married to a very successful music producer and who sells his company and comes to her and says, you know what, I, I, I want to be a politician. And how she then goes down the rabbit hole of having to be a politician's wife and how that changes her. That story told in parallel with a kind of confession um, from a former China-based CIA case officer. So as you learn the history of this woman, I also tried to tell the history of the CIA and I don't know. I, I hope it has. I hope it has finds its audience. It sounds amazing. I <laughs> Thank can't you. wait to read it. Thank you. Thank you so Thank you. much for coming in and and talking to this podcast. Moms don't have time to read books. And again, Lee Carpenter, Eleven Days, and look for her new book this time. Thank summer. you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please check out my essays on zibbyowens.com. Again, this episode has been brought to you by Chloe's Fruit, the cool way to eat fruit. Thank you.